We are kicking things off with a word from our sponsor. The new streaming service, Film Movement Plus, opens a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But as a listener of Watch with Jen, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code WATCHWITHJEN, all one word. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen. Well, today we have back a wonderfully talented writer I enjoyed chatting with last year, Robert Daniels, a freelance film critic based in Chicago who holds a Master's of Arts in English. Robert is the founder of 812 Film Reviews and has written for RogerEbert.com, The Playlist, Polygon, Consequence of Sound, and more. Robert, it is so great to see you again and talk to you today. How are you doing and how have you continued adapting to the ongoing, evolving pandemic? Well, on day 1,256,085. I know, right? <laughs> um, I feel like I'm getting the hang of this. Good, yes. <laughs> I'm fully, I am a, a week and a half away from being fully vaccinated. I got my second shot three okay. days ago and no symptoms. I'm good. Um, okay. Or yeah, no, no uh, I should say side effects. I'm good. So, so far rolling high. The most hopeful I've been in the last year plus. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Were you Pfizer or Moderna? People Pfizer, know. team Pfizer. <laughs> I, I'm team Pfizer too. So now I feel like a little cooler because I'm in the Robert the Pfizer group. I love that. No, well, I should feel cooler because I'm in your group. Oh, I'm in... nice. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, mutual appreciation society. We're probably making everyone sick, but anyway. <laughs> well, I always enjoy reading your byline and seeing the outstanding places it winds up. So congratulations on your recent work. And of course, getting Twitter verified. Very cool, my friend. I know those listening would also love me to ask what you've been working on lately. And if there's anything you can give us a sneak preview of. Of course, no pressure. If you'd rather just give a shout out to any recent pieces you've written that you'd urge fans to check out. Yeah, so um, there's one project that is... (sighs) been slow going it's been taking okay. a lot of time that i can't really reveal what it's oh, about right. yeah um but suffice to say it's really exciting it's cool. had me do a lot of research and it's taking me out of the regular kind of review circuit i'm not writing as much this month um mm-hmm. save for the last week where i've got stopped a lot of stuff to do like underground railroad <laughs> yeah. um and stowaway and um that's coming on netflix and um Philly DA, the docu series that's coming on on PBS, um, 
but yeah, I mean, so far this project that I've been working on has been consuming all of my time, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been, it's been super, you know, fulfilling and enriching. And cause usually I like, I, you know, I know my angle. I know my slant. I know what I didn't like, what I liked about a film really quickly. And I can pump out a review in about an hour, you know, okay, and good. that's usually the speed I'm used to working at. I'm usually, so it's very rare for me to <laughs> slow down. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been feeling very, um, mm, it's been feeling really excruciating. <laughs> I know. Yeah, like unproductive, <laughs> even though you're working, that kind of feeling. Yeah, no, no, it's just, I'm not, you know, it's really been just trying to like trust the process, Yeah. not try to rush through and just, you know, consciously slow myself down and yes. really like, be, like <laughs> hone in on it. And uh, I'm just not getting the hang of it. It's been, I think I've written, I think I said like on Twitter the other day, it's taken me five days to write 500 words. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but it's, it's been fun. Yeah, well, I am excited. And I'm excited for today's discussion. When it came time to choose a theme, you selected a very popular one, beloved actor Tom Hanks, but you didn't leave it there. No, you offered a completely unique, completely Robert twist. You opted to go with some of his more offbeat films and roles, riskier choices, some in great movies and some where he's the best thing in the movie. And I thought this was a very clever approach. As you joked on Twitter, these five films, which we'll go into in a moment, Punchline, The Lady Killers remake, The Terminal, Cloud Atlas, and A Hologram for the King are possibly the least likely Tom Hanks movies that one would choose to discuss. But I love that. So Tom Hanks is always good. And these films serve up different sides to his persona and illustrate his range so, Robert, what is it about Tom Hanks and his work in these movies and others that so compels and fascinates you? Well, see, I'm like one of those people, like I'm a, a few months ago, I wrote a piece about Harrison Ford and his darker roles, like Mosquito Coast and and, um, and What Lies Beneath and stuff like that. And yeah. I'm always incredibly interested when you see movie stars um break out of their comfort zone or like you know slide against their their star appeal or persona mm -hmm. um and i think you find out far more from a lot of artists failures quote-unquote failures than you, yeah. you, you do from their successes um and so when i look at tom hanks and his offbeat roles which coincidentally are like his least successful films too. <laughs> <laughs> like by far the, the like he doesn't have box office bombs very often but no. most of these are big box box office bombs mm -hmm. you know um save for i think punchline might have made some decent money at the box office but mm -hmm. um but yeah so you it's very interesting to see audiences reject that side of him but he still keeps dipping his toe into it like he's very interested and i think tom hanks um when he was on the award circuit for um a beautiful day in the neighborhood talked at length about him struggling to play villains that he really struggles to find you know the motivation or like get at the heart of those kind of characters and that's why he kind of gravitates toward real life people you know it's very easy for oh, him to understand them um which would be very interesting because he's current. He's playing Colonel Parker, <laughs> who is definitely the villain of like the Elvis story. <laughs> um, yeah. But he's a real life person, so maybe that like 
puts Tom Hanks back into the center of it. But I think he is very interested. I think he, so I get the sense that he wishes he could break out of that, like all American, you know, America's dad kind of type, uh, uh, type of role. And I think all of these to a point terminal, maybe less of a break out of that kind of stereotype um, in very interesting ways. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I love how you compared it to that Harrison Ford piece, because my favorite era of Harrison Ford was when he was kind of playing against the good guy, the Han Solo. And I mean, I love Indiana Jones. Everybody loves those characters. But it's just so cool to see him in Mosquito Coast or Frantic or What Lies Beneath. My God. I mean, I chose Mm -hmm. that for my pandemic movie club. And I think some of the people going in had no idea what was coming. They're like, whoa. Yeah. So by the end of the movie, like. (laughs) Uh, Presumed Innocent, you know. Oh, my goodness. uh, The Alan J. Kula film is like you really don't know for like 90% of the film whether he's innocent or not. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> did he kill his girlfriend or what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, the oh. whole time you're just like, well, it's Harrison Ford. There's no way he could have done And But then like Pakula keeps providing stuff that like, yes. maybe he did. <laughs> <laughs> and like That's the only reason, dope. if it was anyone else playing that character, you would automatically assume he's guilty. Yep. Anyone else, because it's Harrison Ford, it it suspends your disbelief just enough that like it it ratchets up the drama and the the intrigue you know mm-hmm. no completely well before we begin we should probably mention that there might be spoilers yeah everybody's gonna be like again in today's discussion so if you haven't seen the movies and are listening get ready to you know, troll me on Twitter. No, I'm just kidding. Possibly fast forward when we chat about one you haven't watched or proceed with caution. So we have five wildly different movies. Obviously, feel free to reference any film, character, or performance at any time. But I thought that because Tom Hanks kind of evolved, as all artists do with age and experience, it might be best to go through these movies chronologically. So this brings me to my second favorite, film in today's lineup the unfairly maligned i think and forgotten 1988 dramedy punchline written and directed by david seltzer the film stars hanks as a medical student whose heart just isn't into his studies struggling in academia by day he comes to life as a rising stand-up comedian at night and soon becomes an unlikely mentor to sally field's middle-aged housewife and mother who finding life in suburbia unfulfilling, longs to be a comedian and have that much needed creative outlet, endorphin rush and release. A volatile, unpredictable personality, perhaps suffering from mania, ADHD or depression, it's never clear. Hank's character, Stephen Gold, develops an attraction to Fields Lila, but that's secondary to their pursuit to find themselves and a career in comedy. Featuring John Goodman, Mark Rydell, Damon Wayans, Paul Mazursky, and more. Well, it's a mixed bag overall as the tone and focus shifts kind of wildly at times. And it has very little to do with the reality of the profession. I've always liked it, though, and what Hanks brings to this challenging role. How about you? What's your take on Punchline? Well, it's so apparently it's the the Safdie brothers, like one of their favorite films. Which I read that, yeah. So makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. 
so makes sense. And we a little bit of trivia, I, if people don't know this, but uh, the actors roundtable with uh, Adam Sandler's on it with Tom Hanks, and Adam Sandler talks about seeing Tom Hanks prepping for the role and doing stand up, like real stand up, yeah, <laughs> open mic store. nights. I heard about yes. that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm a really big fan of Punchline. It, it is a, admittedly, like you said, admittedly flawed film. Uh, that yeah. first hour really careens all over the place. You don't know what you're watching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you know, because um, when you're with Sally Field's character, it feels like a completely different movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it I don't, I don't want to, maybe because like John Goodman's there, but it feels very like television, like television, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like Roseanne sort of. Yeah. Yeah. This could be like easily like an episode on like Roseanne or like home improvement or something like that. Yeah. You know, it has that kind of like feel yeah. to it. Candace Cameron Bure is her daughter. So yeah. Yes. <laughs> Whereas like Sorry. the Tom Hanks portions are so like irreverent and yeah. dark really like really dark <laughs> um the scene where he absolutely melts down in front yes. of his father is i mean like it's akin to and like i don't want to put it up to those things. it's not as good as it but it really reminded me of the captain phillips scene and you know where it's just this emotion just shedding out of him and yeah. all this like pent-up torment that he's experienced but he's kept in and like he's he's used other things to diffuse it and then it finally like overflows and you know you're seeing the result of it mm-hmm. um and to see him do that at such a young age yeah. <laughs> to see him hide that in his performance and uh, you know to just let that come out and not overact it not you know, push it to not push it to being like maudlin or anything, but keep it really in this very, you know, dark, um, you know, traumatic place. Um, if it still felt humanistic, you know, when he was doing it. Um, and so, yeah, it's two completely different movies, but then, and the last, like when they have the, the whole like competition, everything, and the emotional beats of that movie is. That, <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't remember this character now, but like the older comedian. Yeah, where he couldn't join in to the competition. And you're like, we should have spent some more time with him earlier. But it's sad. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's heartbreaking. Yes, it is. And you can, you know, you can see this guy who... And, you know, you could imagine a whole backstory with them. You know, that's, I think, the really good thing about this film is that, like, these characters aren't probably as well drawn as they could be, but there's enough there Mm -hmm. that you can, you know, that that they're not shallow. And he's a great example of that. Mm -hmm. They give a little bit of about him, but um, you can imagine at some point that he was in Tom Hanks's position. He was the up and coming hotshot kind of guy. And he you know found fame and realized it really wasn't the fame that he loved it was the crafts that he loved you know mm-hmm. um and you feel like that's gonna be like tom hanks's character like 20 or 30 yeah. years from now and i kind of want a punchline too just to see that <laughs> i know yeah he's, like what happens to him yes yeah <laughs> he comes I would that love guy. To that. yeah i would love to see him be that guy who like got that fame and then but like it like 
turned on him like Martin Eden style. (laughs) (laughs) The pathos of the stand-up comedy world. It's Mm -hmm. cool you mentioned that whole scene with the father because it kind of reminded me of like, again, not on that level. And, you know, people listening are going to be like, what is she talking about? But in East of Eden, you know, when James Dean is trying to give the money to his father. And I mean, that is your actor studio over. At, I mean, it's a gorgeous scene. And I love James Dean, but, you know, that kind of thing. And that's sort of what Tom Hanks is doing. But he buries it, like like you were saying, inside this um, sort of cool, calm uh, persona of of when he's on stage I mean he is on and then he just melts into this like puddle of just pent-up anger and rage and kind of how everybody with their parents especially if you're going through something you sort of regress to your like childhood a little bit mm-hmm. in front of your parents like good or bad sometimes you do that and so you see that and it just oh it kills you yeah such a good performance yeah, yeah, and it's um, it's insane that it, that that came out the same year as Big. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like flip side. Yeah, yeah, it's like it, the total range that he had that early of an age, and was still, you know, very much finding himself as performer. You know, before he went on the run that began with you know, a league of their own, it kind of carried him probably through. Um, I don't know, like Castaway or something like that. Yeah. You know that that twelve year run that he had. That's just inc- like akin to like a Spencer Tracy like run in Hollywood. Yeah. And it's <laughs> perfect because they both won the Best Actor back to back at the same mm-hmm. age, which blew my mind. It was like thirty seven and thirty eight. It's like, wow, nice link to Spencer. But no, I think so. And he's so hard on himself for this whole period, like his younger work. Um, he said he took too many things that were just movies or he wasn't like sort of discriminating against taste like what was good which I mean you're hungry you're a father of little kids and he got divorced and then he got remarried I mean he was going he needed money and he was trying to climb the so it's like Tom Hanks give yourself a little bit of a break here plus this is some good work yeah well I I tend to think the reason he struggles because his first Brushwood fame came with with Bosom Buddies, right? True. And he has a great aptitude for comedy. And you could see in those early roles that he's really modulating his comedy. And he thinks that's where his future is. And he keeps taking these, like, really trash like concept <laughs> comedies that are like really like kitschy kind of 80s stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and it really takes him a while before he, he gets that, like, okay, I'm like kind of in the same way, like uh, um, it like a Brad Pitt, where Brad Pitt knows he's funny, but he doesn't take in like inherently funny roles, mm-hmm. you know. Until he um, got older he, and realized, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I think Tom Hanks at some point when he finally hit his peak, he got on his run. It was when he was able to balance the two, and he was he realized what was the proper amount of funny that he should have in a role. Yes. I think too the background with theater and I guess he was like a Shakespearean actor I mean not like classically trained he's one of our most famous like college dropouts and (laughs) um, you know did theater work and just kind of learned as he went and he apprenticed under 
you know, learning about lighting, all the different departments. So you had this like love of theater and sometimes you act a little broad and that sort of lended itself to the comedy. But yeah, I think also Splash was his first big film. And so you can kind of see those early ones. But it's crazy this era because there were some really good ones. I'm one of those people that loves the movie The Burbs. And, oh, I love The Burbs oh, so God. much. Okay, <laughs> I say that sometimes and people are like, Jen. But okay, good. This is why we that, get up on Robert. Yeah. And it's like, Bruce know, Dern in that movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. Rumsfeld dude, but yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, you have stuff like the Burbs. You have uh, Joe versus the Volcano is in that era. Yeah, I love that movie, and I don't know. There, there's some really inspired choices, you know, of what you have with a very talented young actor who doesn't probably doesn't know yet how to read a script. You know, yep. like <laughs> bounces into some stuff that's really good. Bounces into some stuff that's not good. <laughs> you know, but um, absolutely. He also had, um, uh, what am I blanking on? The Man with One Red Shoe, right? Oh, yeah, the remake. Yep. Which is also kind of like, you know, a comedy. You know, in place you can see them modulating between those, yep. like taking these very kind of films that had like comedic edges to it. Mm-hmm. And so it's very interesting that he took Punchline because very much like an early dark film that um, I, don't, I don't know if he's made anything as dark since maybe road to perdition just because of yeah, you know the frame it. of it mm-hmm. um you know the, being in a gangster world but i and the i think everyone else is dark in it i'm not sure he himself is true yeah you know but in this he's the, he's the, he's <laughs> told everyone else is actually bright and cheery he's the darkest portion <laughs> he is. yeah oh my god you're never sure what like he acts out uh singing in the rain in the street and you're like worried like is he gonna kill himself right now i mean we don't know it was so scary it is yeah it's a very demented rendition he does of it (laughs) it's like sally field run out there i didn't know what to do yeah though i would say to jump on uh on sally field in this movie i do think i don't think the the comedy routines are especially funny no. i do think sally field though is funny and i She's was great. like watching i was like yo i would love to see sally field once again on a punchline too <laughs> 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 um and yeah i thought like she had it was i thought she in real life would be a better sano comedian <laughs> than tom hanks <laughs> i guess she did it too um i read about that it took her like six months to get up to i think she said like five minutes of good material but she said it was terrifying i think sandra bernhardt might have been one of her mentors mm-hmm. in the um, if i remember that correctly but yeah be great to see somebody must have these tapes somewhere <laughs> the, um, <laughs> Well, the the contest um, scene, I mean, at least I don't, it's interesting that like with the Tom Hanks, they kind of show like, oh, he like, he killed it on the craft and like all the comedians were like, that's mm-hmm. it right there. But like they show the full Sally Field set and the fully Sally Field set is actually really funny. It's probably the funniest set of the yeah. movie. physical acting or physical comedy everything's there Mm -hmm. and especially facially and everything and how she's interacting with the crowd um it felt like a real stand-up set and 
I wish the the director had had done the same thing with Hanks, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we like really understood like the craft and why everyone was saying like oh he should win because yeah. like, from what we see like Sally <laughs> Field should win <laughs> I know yeah it's very uneven there but yeah <laughs> but it's also funny that she plays someone who is isn't that much older Mm-mm. you know but I and I looked this up because I was like how how much older is Sally Field than Tom Hanks? I don't think Sally very. Field playing his mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they had fun years. with that on the press circuit. I remember as a kid at Forrest Gump, like I was her like love interest and now she's my mother. Like Hollywood, <laughs> you know, they had these jokes back then and it was like, oh God. I yes, like they, it's yeah. a 10 year difference between okay. the two. That's it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's kind of like the graduate. Wasn't that only like, six or eight years something, something like yeah yeah oh yeah that's a whole other episode no I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> well next we have our first of two tom hanks releases from 2004 a rare misfire at least in my eyes from the coen brothers the lady killers which was a remake of the 1955 british ealing studios comedy film directed by alexander mckendrick and written by william rose in the Coen's version, Irma P. Hall plays the staunchly conservative, strict, and very religious elderly widow, Mrs. Marva Munson. I love that alliteration. Early on in The Lady Killer, she's approached by one of the weirdest and broadest Tom Hanks characters we've seen, the side of Cloud Atlas, Professor Goldthwaite Higginson Dorr who specializes in Southern and Gothic classics, or so he says, when he asks to rent her basement cellar room for his vintage musical band consisting of Marlon Wayans, J.K. Simmons, Ryan Hurst, and Z. Ma. The motley crew of unusual men are not in reality a traditional band, we discover, but really a band of crooks who are hoping to tunnel through an exposed wall into an underground vault for a local riverboat casino hijinks and mishaps mostly those of the men's own making ensue and Hall's Mrs. Munson winds up thwarting their plan as well it's an everything in the kitchen sink movie for the Coens blending all kinds of comedic styles and misses more than it hits but it's fun seeing the dastardly side of Hanks as he plots to take Munson out of the equation to this end, in some ways, it reminds me of what they did so successfully in Raising Arizona. Joel Cohen has said in interviews that the key of placing someone like a baby in jeopardy in that movie was ensuring it was always smiling, laughing, and having fun, never in any real danger or where this is going on. They try it again here, and you always know Irma P. Hall is going to outsmart them, but it just doesn't work as well in The Lady Killers, I thought. But what are your thoughts on the movie, Robert? Uh, yeah, it is comfortably their worst film. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> like, I didn't know, but yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> like by a significant margin, the worst film. <laughs> um, yeah, they oh. they really, they just... They're just not comfortable Mm-mm. And not just the Southern Gothic tradition, no, <laughs> but also just the Black um, Baptist tradition too. I think um, so. Yeah, you know the like the 
the choir scenes for filmmakers who are so detailed, those scenes are so generic. Um, It's incredible um, how generic they are. And, uh, you know, same thing with the, um, um, I am now blanking on this. (laughs) Oh, the, were you going to say maybe the Vietnamese character or um, are we back to, oh, let's see. No, I guess, um just the you know just the entire environment of the town and everything everything oh, is the so south. okay yeah, yeah everything is just so thinly sketched and which is odd because obviously you know they did you know oh brother where art thou you know yeah um and so they're not completely alien to it and yet it feels like they are in this it feels like they have never made a southern a film set of the south <laughs> i know yeah and some of these characters did feel so I didn't know if they were stereotypical on purpose. Like that's mm-hmm. what I meant with the, the Vietnamese character. Cause that was kind of rubbing me the wrong way a little bit too. And I'm like, or are they poking fun at it? Cause they're always kind of postmodern. So you never quite know what they're doing, but there were some, it just didn't really work. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the random Aldous Hodge cameo with Sima. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the beginning was yeah. Very, okay, I don't know where this is heading, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, they never... I mean, the, all the characters are so under-sketched, which is also yes. very weird. Like, so for filmmakers who are such great attention to detail from mm-hmm. setting to character, to see everything be just so so bland and stereotypical, you know, yeah. um, is surprising. The only person who feels remote fully, you know, um, um, actualized is Tom Hanks. He really and is. Yep. You can absolutely tell that he's having the time of his life in this film. <laughs> 100%. Yes. I, he, he would make five of those movies. I mean, you could just tell right away. <laughs> yeah. You could tell yeah. he, like, I, I don't know what, like, preparation he did, but I am 100% sure this man showed up to set in his own costume. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, everything from the, the facial hair to, like, you know, the kind of Colonel Sam kind of thing that he's got going on with yeah. his costume and the laugh to, I want to know where he got the laugh from. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is actually, you know, we talked about like his Shakespearean background. You could see it come through in this. It is very, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> not, you know, like broad, obviously, but also, you know, the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, not just like, you know, with him quoting, a lot of Edgar Allan Poe, but it is this like very stilted, uh, you know, stereotypical kind of like upper, like Southern, <laughs> you know, dialect that he's doing. Um, that feels like it's a hundred years past its time. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't like the music they're allegedly or purportedly playing is like a hundred years in the past which the movie kind of feels like at the beginning when she goes to the police department and she's complaining about the hippity hop you're like okay so I guess this is 80s or newer but when you see the outfits and that kind of thing you're like wait a minute when does this movie take place but I don't think we're supposed to know it's just Americana I guess yeah and I almost feel like this movie would have been more interesting if it had, if it was Southern Gothic and it had Tom Hanks' character, but it wasn't set in the South, 
If it was set yeah. somewhere else. <laughs> and you were you know, just like, it, what is his deal? Yes. <laughs> set <laughs> yes. somewhere else, you know. And it's it's interesting because I feel like the Coen brothers, you know, they they have films obviously like Raising Arizona and, and um a simple man that are set in particular times and places. Yeah. Um, and yet they, you know, like all great filmmakers, they feel timeless, you know, in a way. Whereas this one, like the references to the hippity hop and stuff like that, there's not a date given, but it feels dated. It does. Yes. And it, I remember seeing it in 2004 and it felt dated then. (laughs) I I remember being at the theater and like, at first when Tom Hanks walks in and this is a character, I should probably, we kind of alluded to it, but he's one of those guys who speaks in like monologues that seem to be 10 pages long. And, you know, Basically, he's the embodiment of that old stereotype of, you know, you meet somebody from Harvard and they're going to mention they went to Harvard like 20 times in in the first minute. That is basically this guy, but just with his um, felicity with language and the words he uses. And I mean, so as soon as he hit the screen, I remember you can tell me from your audience, but people were laughing. But then that generosity with the laughter just like started to die. I mean, I think there were some shocked chuckles with the J.K. Simmons having IBS. That seemed to be like his only character. Um, like the only way we, we knew him was he was like IBS guy. But but um, other than that, I mean, it was a quiet Coen brother experience. How about your theater? Same. Yeah. Same. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it's so sad because you know it's such a great cast and you could see that cast being like oh it's a coen brothers film gotta do it you know yeah you probably see tom hanks thinking the same thing like oh i wanted to do kind of a villainy kind of person if i was going to do it with any filmmakers it would be coen brothers right you know get on set and they everyone's game everyone's fully committed and just the material is not committed to them (laughs) in the same respect oh yeah (laughs) It's like everyone's making a different movie. I don't know. <laughs> yes, no, it, it is like um um like uh oh my god, is it Marlon or is it Sean? It's Marlon. 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 Um yeah. Marlon Wayne's completely different movie. Like yes. Marlon Wayne's looked like he he just walked off the set of the Wayne show and went over. Yeah. <laughs> the Wayne Brothers show went over. Like he comes to the set. Hang out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Sim, I don't know what Simba's doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't really have a character. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it feels like he just kind of like made it up like on the fly. Like he yeah. just got a character name and he was like, all right, cool. Let's see. <laughs> see what's I can gonna do the cigarette this. thing. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. And the you know, the Jake, you know, as you mentioned, JK Simmons with the IBS. The like the only person who's like fully sketched is Tom Hanks's character. And even yeah. he like he's really filling in some blanks, you know, on that character um, and giving the, giving that character a lot more. Because like the sinister elements of him is so surface level. There's not much beneath that. No. You know, it's a char- complete caricature. And yet. Tom Hanks has such a big presence. Yeah, you know, he he's he's able to sell it yeah. <laughs> when a lot of actors would not absolutely would not be able to yeah. absolutely would not be able to um 
and once again, it's very interesting. He, he talks about he's not great at villainous characters. I think because I think he's the only person who understands the assignment in this film. Thank you. Yeah. And if the rest of the film matched Tom Hanks's tonality, it would be an infinitely better film. I agree with you. And it, you brought up a good point and made me think about Oh Brother and how great George Clooney was in there. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, like they kind of bring their movie star persona to it, but they full on get what they're doing. And you can see like he wields his charm similar to the way that Clooney did in that movie. And you just wish that the rest of the film just kind of met him halfway or matched that um, talent that he has, but yeah, it just didn't work. Unfortunately. Yeah. They're, they're both rascals. They're absolute rascals. And like, Oh brother totally matches that you know the rest of the film totally everyone in that film is a rascal in their own way they're all trying to get their Mm -hmm. own thing there's not an innocent person in the bunch (laughs) (laughs) and i kind of i i wish it was um i wish there was that sentiment in in this where we didn't have anyone who was wholly innocent and also like the whole painting guiding her yeah, the the choices yeah yeah right. also it didn't really work. didn't work for me <laughs> yeah <laughs> so basically what we're saying is proceed with caution watch it just for tom hanks that's about it yes if you're a tom hanks completist it yep. adds an interesting contour to him yes yeah don't come yell at us we warned you no i'm just kidding <laughs> Well, released a few months later, also in 2004, we have my favorite film of the group, an unappreciated or underappreciated gem from Steven Spielberg, who's been one of my favorite Hanks collaborators over the years, mostly for his rich character work in movies like this and Catch Me If You Can. Then even for his bigger blockbusters, yeah, weird in that sense. The film I'm talking about here is one I already celebrated with Thomas Lafley on this podcast, The Terminal, which finds Hanks playing a resident of the fictional Eastern European nation of Krakosia, who lands at New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport, only to learn that a civil war broke out back home when he was in a in the air, and the U.S. doesn't recognize him as a passport holder of an independent country anymore, so he's not permitted to therefore enter New York City or return home. Gotta love that red tape. Stateless or unacceptable, as acting field commissioner Stanley Tucci calls him, Hanks' Victor Navorsky is quote-unquote, without country, as Lawrence Kasdan wrote in the script for French Kiss nine years earlier. Unable to fully understand what's going on because he doesn't speak the language, Victor struggles to adapt to his situation and surroundings, forming friendships with fellow invisible workers like Chai McBride, Kumar Palana, and Diego Luna, among others. And he also becomes attracted to the beautiful but perpetually unlucky in love flight attendant Catherine Zeta-Jones, a warm, humanistic, funny, yet sad and tender film about the battles of bureaucracy and middlemen and slavish rule following that fails to see the people behind each unique situation 
I've always loved this one and was glad you chose it. But how about you, Robert? What's your relationship to the terminal? <laughs> uh, so essentially, so the terminal is not my favorite off this okay. list. Yeah. We'll get to that later. <laughs> we're, we're real close to it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, it's definitely not, for me, it's not one of, you know, obviously not one of Spielberg's masterworks. No, no, no. <laughs> but I do, find it, I do find it very charming and very endearing. And I do think that it's a nice revisitation of Tom Hanks's Forrest Gump character. There are a lot of yeah. similar beats between Victor and Forrest. Um, mm-hmm. And yet I find this character infinitely more tragic because like Forrest Gump, tragedy happens to him but he doesn't he doesn't fully process it we as the audience fully process yes. it but mm-hmm. he himself just kind of like you know just keeps floating along you know yeah. you have moments to pause and stuff like that but victor is very much obviously affected by tragedy from losing his country to mm-hmm. obvious to obviously when we find out later that he's making this trip on his father's behalf yes. um and so there's so much more going on underneath behind the smile behind like the altruism and the giddiness um that i find this character so very interestingly sketched and also i just love (laughs) the campiness of the character (laughs) it's like tom hanks doesn't often do um uh accents and it's very interesting that three of the films that we are talking about today he does an accent Mm-hmm. You know, um, from the Coen Brothers, um, Lady Killers, with the Southern kind of like, yeah, gothic kind of thing got yes. going on. Yeah, whatever he's doing, that's what that's cool. <laughs> and then you have this one that's like, he, there's an accent that's supposed to be Krakosia, but like, yeah. um, when I was watching it, it <laughs> my subtitles gonna say Belarus. <laughs> Oh really? Yeah. I think he speaks some Bulgarian in the movie. Yes. So yeah, we don't know exactly what. Yeah. <laughs> but like it was very interesting how like mine sometimes kept chiming in and out of like Russian, but you know. Um and I I don't know if Tom Hanks necessarily knows what he's in, but he's having fun with it once again. Yeah. Um and I think he I think he's conscious of the fact that this is not a this is not meant to be realistic at all. No. You know, this is not meant to be, um, he's not Daniel Day-Lewis of this. Not at all, no. But, you know, he's not trying to be wholly accurate with regards to, you know, place. He's Mm -hmm. trying to be accurate with regards to character. And I think that accent matches victor in so many ways in the sense that it's so playful and yet so earnest and heartfelt you know it's very interesting when you can when you fully hear tom because he he makes conscious choices i've noticed yes when he'll fully sound out words and when he won't and some dialect coaches say he's being inconsistent but I think he's being purposely inconsistent oh yeah I think so no I agree with you and it's interesting you brought up I think he's such an expressive actor especially his eyes and what he does 
And I know he gets compared to Jimmy Stewart all the time. And I can see that, especially this kind of like goodness, you know, it, you can see it, but this movie kind of reminds me more of like the silent era or even the early talkies, like Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton, because there's a pathos, there's humor, but for a good chunk of the film, like the beginning, at least, you know, he doesn't speak the language. We're watching him silently or use his physical comedy background, a little bit of Chaplin, a little bit of Keaton, like as he tries to figure out um, how to use the carts and, you know, get enough <laughs> coins to like go to Burger King. I mean, it's so tragic. It's like basically like when Chaplin eats the shoe in the gold rush and that kind of thing, or mm-hmm. um, put the benches together in the back terminal that he's staying in that he fixes up later. And I just, I love that. I think like what you said, he is making choices on when to bring the funny accent in kind of like in modern times when we finally hear Chaplin talk. So I love that about this. I might be reading way too into it or like it's the terminal, but I see the influences a little. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I, I don't think if it was by another director with another actor, you probably could be reading too yes. much of it, but like Spielberg <laughs> and movies. Tom Hanks, yeah. these are the two that are going to know what they're, t- they know exactly <laughs> yeah. where they're pulling from, but you know, and yeah. I totally agree with, with it being like more feeling more like silent era and Chaplin and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and yeah. And then when you get to the second half where it takes on these romantic qualities but doesn't yeah. fully evolve evolve into mm-hmm. it. And I'm actually happy it doesn't fully evolve into it. Yeah, that didn't really work for me, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think it's... it's um, why am I blanking on her name? Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yes. I, don't, I know. <laughs> I did the same thing how... I watched recently. I was like, oh, I love her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I was partly how, like, Catherine Zeta-Jones' character sketched and how not well women are sketched in the film in general you know um they they really are kind of like prizes to be won and a little bit um, yeah it's a recurring (laughs) like bartered for (laughs) i know oh man uh zoe saldana yeah that could have been handled a little better but she's so great in it like her interplay with uh tom hanks was wonderful and i think she kind of knew who was because he was always like gawking around the corner at her like who her secret admirer was but yeah yeah it's very interesting like they how like she's like vicariously flirtatious with him but she's you know obviously knows that it's not victor you know that like it's someone else (laughs) but like she still is very genuine right and her reactions um and it almost made me want want to watch like a rom-com with her and with tom hanks and just cut everyone else out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they did have a really interesting chemistry. Yeah. yeah I, thought he, I thought he had a better chemistry with her than he had with Catherine Zeta Jones, to be honest. Yes, I, I agree with you there. Yeah. She was always, I mean, she was supposed to be in a rush and kind of a mess when it came to relationships. She's for people who don't know, she's involved with a married guy and she's sort of flighty. I mean, she's a flight attendant. Hey, hey pun. No, but she is. <laughs> she's falling and yeah she's a little bit of a like a 60s movie cliche basically and 
So yeah. when he would cross his path, it was almost like, I'm in a rush. I'm buying a book. And, you know, Zoe Saldana, the nature of her job, she did have to make time for Victor, but it was also like she was amused by him. So I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird that like, because you would think it'd be the same thing with Catherine Zeta-Jones' character, where she mm-hmm. would just strictly be amused by him. Yeah. Spielberg really doesn't give a reason for why she would be attracted right. to Victor in any Ask way. Yeah. <laughs> because he told her to go to pay less i mean yeah (laughs) the undergirding of that relationship is just not great but the way that i they hold back the mystery with the planner's peanut and when you when it's like revealed what it is it's just so i like i it's one of those things that sneaks up on you Mm-hmm. And every single time it happens, I just start crying and bawling. <laughs> yes, it's so moving. It defies all logic because you're like, they were suspicious of them. You know, they're grabbing that can and going right through it. But we're not supposed to think about that. We're just supposed to be like, oh, and then, you know, the Great Day in Harlem, which the Great Day in Harlem and jazz it has its own link with Tom Hanks. So you're kind of like, was he in the development stage with this? But yeah, it's like tailored to him. Yeah, it's it's a setup. The terminal has a setup that I would have so bought pre 9-11. It's a very odd post 9-11 film. It is. I wonder <laughs> if, like how long it had been in the works, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, because yeah, like yeah. you mentioned the planner's peanut, and like post 9-11, that can would have been torn open. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> like it would have been torn open and thrown away, probably thrown away or something. Yeah. Like, you cannot take this on the plane, sir. <laughs> you have shampoo? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. Like, like they will like won't take you, let you take like rubbing alcohol on the plane. Much less like no. a planner's peanut can. <laughs> <laughs> so like it's, like ripping up the autographs like what's in these no that would be yeah, it's like it's like very interesting like that someone could like exist as as stanley tucci's character said in a crack in the system and like in a post 11 <laughs> that like is like absolutely bonkers <laughs> i know <laughs> I mean, I think it was loosely inspired by that guy who lived in the terminal of, I can't remember what airport, for like 18 years. So, I mean, it exists, but, you know, it's, we're not going for realism here. Let's just put that there. But yes. Stanley Tucci <laughs> is in this whole, like, twisted, how great is he at being, like, the man you just want to, as soon as you see him, you want to punch him out. Like, eating his lunch, going, yeah, civil war broke out, you know, whatever. We're just going to keep you here. Like, what? Yeah. He's so... I think um, the pill scene... Oh, that is devastating. Yeah. Yes. So, so, so good. Yes. Um, And (laughs) the way that Tom Hanks sells it... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just... Gold. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But... I think the way that he builds that scene where the tensions are rising all around him mm-hmm. and he's just a level below it for most of it, yep. you know, very just, just, it's a very good listening scene. He's, yeah. I mean, he's tranquil translating, but more than, I mean, a big portion of translating is listening. Yeah. And so you see everyone else who's ready to pounce on him and he's just kind of a little bit laid back and the way that, 
Spielberg blocks the scene, you know, blocks and frames it is so good too with the glass door. The um, barriers, yeah. Yes. Um, but then you see like the internal workings, right? Where you see Victor put two and two together mm-hmm. and he realizes what is That's the sweet. thing that he should do to, to help himself mm-hmm. and the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I and know. He, he he goes to that equation. You can see it. You know, you talked about Tom Hanks being an expressive actor. You can see it on his face, mm-hmm. and it completely comes through. And when he does the like the revelation of goats, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but then I think I what I liked about that scene so much is that. A lot of directors today would over-explain it, right? Yeah. We would have gotten an earlier scene with Victor reading the pamphlet and going through and seeing Goat. And- yeah, exactly. And it's like, we don't need that. We get it. Like, oh, you've been reading the forms. All you need is that one line by Tucci, and it makes sense. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, you know, Tom Hanks knows that because he's read the script and everything like that. He knows yeah. the purpose behind this scene. Um, and so he's able to just build toward it in such a believable way that doesn't that doesn't feel like put on at all. Mm-hmm. No, and it's interesting too because it ties in with his own plight with his father. And mm-hmm. it's another father dynamic. Um, recently I talked to Bilga Abiri and he said that when um, Tom Cruise, it started in the 80s, was actually helping develop his characters and building in that like, backstory and it usually had to do with a father figure and we've had a few movies here like punchline and now this with like fathers so these are recurring what's with the toms and fathers i guess lately i don't know there's don't gonna know. be a think piece we're inspiring a think piece i think right now no <laughs> yeah well you know we'll see if he ever does a, a father something with chet <laughs> yeah <laughs> I want to be at that dinner table. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be at that dinner table so badly. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like, explain your thought process to me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Chet Hanks is the is might be the best actor in that family, and I mean that unironically. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Well, this brings us to a film. I have no idea, actually, though, how to properly summarize it. So I'll be turning it back over to Robert in a moment. Don't worry. That's right. We've reached the 2012 movie Cloud Atlas, written and directed by the Wachowski sisters and Tom Tyker, uh, based upon the 2004 novel by David Mitchell, a visually and structurally audacious film that baffles and awes in equal measure. Cloud Atlas tells multiple stories in six different time periods and in each the same talented ensemble stars, but their roles keep changing, not only obviously concretely in who they play, but most memorably in their relationships to one another. Antagonists become friends, lovers, or subservient acquaintances, and the plot lines focus often on slaves and abusers or those in those roles. And it also focuses on art and the legacy of an artistic product over time, secrets, and more. These plot lines are brought to life by Tom Hanks, 
in some instances as you've never seen him before. Halle Berry, Jim Broadman, Jim Sturgis, Ben Wishaw, Hugo Weaving, Susan Sarandon, and Donna Bay are just a few of the film's many stars. I wanted to like this one more than I did. I mean, obviously, I want to like every movie, but especially this one because of the people behind it and your affection for Cloud Atlas. But I'm afraid I just didn't. It probably does, though, get better or at least more coherent with further viewings. But I'm afraid I'm in no hurry to like revisit it just yet. Maybe like in a year or so, I'll get brave and Cloud Atlas it up again. But I'm glad that you um, chose this one because I thought I had seen it. And then I started it. I'm like, what the hell? No, I never saw this thing. So maybe I just remember reading about it and seeing the trailer. And that was my thinking. But Hanks is really good here. So I would love to hear your thoughts on Cloud Atlas and why you love it so much. Because we talked a little bit about it last time, but I was really excited to hear from you. So when people say that flawed masterpieces don't exist, they have not seen Cloud Atlas. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it is a flawed masterpiece. Yeah. One of the most expensive German films ever produced. Oh, really? Because the Wachowskis couldn't get, uh, I think Warner Brothers was their main backer for, for all their other films. Warner Brothers after, um, was it Speed Racer? I think Speed Racer wouldn't back this film. They had Warner Brothers come in until the last second to put extra money in. But this is mostly produced by German financiers. Oh, wow. <laughs> Everybody's like, I don't know what the hell they're doing here. <laughs> and Tom Hanks is one of the biggest backers of this film. Um, wow. he's Everyone who's worked on this film says it is their favorite film they've worked on. <laughs> Tom Hanks. That's cool. Hugh Grant, Jim Broadbent. You can find the interviews where they all think this is one of their favorite films they've ever done. It's one of the, so the best acting they individually have ever done. Um, it is a wild, crazy film that had three different um, production teams that was that was headed by each director. Um, wow, that must have been really complicated, man. It's insane. They were in a lot of times three different locations, so people would have to fly from one location to the next. Like oh, they would wow. do a few days of shooting, fly over to the next one, a few days of shooting, fly over to the next one. <laughs> Originally, the actors were didn't have many. You know, they had, I think, maybe a couple roles. But as the uh, Wachowskis and Twiker were kind of going through it, they realized that it they could, like, for budgetary reasons, they needed to reuse the same actors. And it really just needs to kind of lean in into the... Um, um, reincarnation angle of it all and um, so that's how you end up with <laughs> Tom Hanks everyone playing like six <laughs> different people <laughs> I know and you can see why it's their favorite because it's an actor's dream right like of you get course. to play all these characters and all these characters are big they have like you know they're using prosthetics and makeup and you're just using everything in your toolbox to yeah. get put this all on the screen and no one more so than Tom Hanks in this movie. No, like <laughs> accents galore. It's a lot. Yes. Yes. And so there are points, there are points where he's, you know, the, he has this, he makes oats like his usual Tom Hanks, kind of like every guy, right? Like, yeah. Um, the nuclear power plant storyline is that example. 
Um, and then there are moments where he's tragically flawed, you mm. know, um, like the futurist um, portion where he's, he's speaking the true truth. <laughs> he's a villager. <laughs> I wasn't sure how to take that. I was like, what am I watching? Yeah. <laughs> but he, he desperately wants to do the right thing, but he doesn't have the courage to do it. Yeah. And he's a person who's always, he's thinking of self-survival first. And that is it. Cause he's mm-hmm. in this dangerous cold-blooded world, this post-apocalyptic world where you have Hugh Grant playing a marauding cannibalist. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> and then there's some components where he's just downright evil. You know, like yeah. um, the doctor uh, 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 Goose, right? Um, mm-hmm. Who's on the, I think, um, like n- it is on this 19th century transatlantic slave voyage. Yeah. Um, and then you also have like the later one the which is the closest we get to the present day um where he's playing the cockneyed uh former gangster turn writer (laughs) 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 um which one again once again like if you're talking about accuracy that that accent is not it (laughs) no but it's knowingly campy it's knowingly like over the top um and it works and Mm -hmm. you could just tell that once again that tom hanks is having the time of his life in this film he really (laughs) is oh my gosh (laughs) um but yeah i love i love almost every component there are flaws like there's yellow face obviously i think there's you know it's a movie that people say it a lot today they're like that movie could never be made today this movie especially could never be made today. <laughs> One, it wouldn't get the budget. Yeah. Two, it like, was barely made then. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it wouldn't have gotten the budget and it wouldn't have, um, um, it, it wouldn't have survived the yellow face and stuff like that and the brown face. And, you know, it's not, it is problematic, I will say. Yeah, but-, um, but what I think, what I love about, the Wachowskis, Wachowskis is that so many directors who take big swings, they're taking big big swings for the purpose of being grandiose, mm-hmm. and that's it. And there's not really much emotion undergirding like you know the spectacle. But there's yeah. with the Wachowskis, even their biggest set pieces, there's always something that's tangible, so that always hits to the heart. And I think Cloud Atlas, I think it's the reason I'm always drawn to it because you can feel their heart in this mm-hmm. and everyone who was in this, you could tell they put everything they had into it. <laughs> it comes off, it comes off on screen. Um, it's such a, a deep cast. It's all working together. And, you know, it's very rare to call like a blockbuster an indie. And yet this feels at times like an <laughs> indie, you know, with how much heart is in it. It feels yeah. like a, you know, the little train that could. <laughs> I was really impressed by, and I wondered, have they ever worked together? You would probably know. Was Halle Berry, had she worked with Hanks before? Because I thought they worked really well together. I don't think they have. Okay. I don't think they have before or since. Oh. Um, and the, that movie came at a very interesting time in Halle Berry's you know, career of, mm-hmm. of being on a, just a really bad slide. And, yes, <laughs> And I think, you know, um, I think Hugh Grant lamented about this. And I'm glad that he's, like, kind of broken out of his kind of, like, 
charming, nice guy, you know, persona. When he got older, yeah, from Bridget Jones on, it was like, no, I want to play the cad. Yeah. Yeah. And he like lamented like every single time I try to break out of the roles I always do, like people don't like him. And that's when he was talking about like, I want to retire. You know, he like made the proclamation he wanted to retire because like Cloud Atlas had failed and he thought Cloud Atlas was going to like, people were going to see him differently after it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think people did see him different. I think I think other directors saw him differently after that film because he's his range is so big. <laughs> he's really a good actor. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah. and so yeah, I mean I just love this film because Tom Hanks has taken some big swings and he's not Huge connecting swings. on everything. No. Damn it, he's trying. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like what you were saying with Lady Killers, where you're like, you know he showed up to set like that. Which of the characters did Hanks show up as for Cloud Atlas, like on day one? Because it had to be one of them, you know. That's the oh, point. um, it has to be the it has to be the writer. Okay, yeah, I, I would think he's that had, for Hanks. Yeah, yeah, I think he's I think he's having a good time with those sideburns. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> talk about talk about Chet Hanks. That character might be a precursor to Chet Hanks. <laughs> Chet saw that and was like, Dad has the right idea. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think he totally showed up like that. And I think it's very few of his characters have any backstory. They just kind of exist. Mm-hmm. And it's up to him to, to kind of fill that in for us. And yep. it's a lot of legwork he's got to do in a short amount of time. Like, I think the writers, the short, I mean, like that. He only shows up for three minutes, maybe, okay. maybe, you know, yeah, I think it's just that one barely, scene. Yeah. Um, whereas like the other ones that you get more, the nuclear power plant might be the second shortest, okay. um, like two scenes. Um, but yeah, he has to do a lot of legwork in a quick amount of time, um, but he does it. And these characters feel wholly believable, even though some of them are caricatures yeah. <laughs> in of themselves. <laughs> yeah. No, I was really glad that you chose it because it was time for me to see it because I thought I had seen it. So there was my mistake. And I would, (laughs) you know, you were the perfect person to listen to um, explain your love for the movie. So I really appreciated that. Well, I will say it it has gotten better on successive rewatches. I don't know because I just, I love it. I love that the first time I saw it. Okay. I love divisive films. Yeah, (laughs) we talked about that. Yep. And so when I remember seeing it at, in Chicago at a theater called the Patio Theater, uh, this very like, uh, this former kind of like tiny mo- movie um, palace um, and like has, you know, typical kind of starry sky, tiny movie palace kind of like aesthetics mm-hmm. and walking out of it and three of my friends hated it. I loved it. Another person was like, I don't know what the hell I just watched. And I was like, this is my movie. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been a fascinating discussion on the ride home or at the diner after, I bet. Oh, it was. It was a very fascinating. My best friend hates this movie. Absolutely hates this movie. (laughs) And he's like, he just refers to it as the true, true movie. (laughs) I can see that. Yeah. When I saw the true, true section, I was like, what? Yeah. That is too funny. Well, our final film today is another one written and directed and actually co-scored again by Run the Run, director and Cloud Atlas co-helmer Tom Tykwer. 
2016's Hologram for the King is based on the 2012 novel of the same name by Dave Eggers. So you kind of wonder, were they reading the book at the time and going, hey, let's make this. Um, But anyway, it stars Tom Hanks as a down on his luck corporate American salesman who travels to Saudi Arabia to propose a business deal. And as everything gets delayed, contacts change and he must adapt to the different cultural barriers, which is a challenge when he undergoes a few medical scares. He winds up finding himself as well as some new friends, including a new love played by Sarita Chaudhary. The film's cast is great and so funny in their embrace of the weirdness of these big empty landscapes and sets, including a small turn by one of my favorites, Danish actress Sidsa Babbitt Knudsen, who co-starred with Hanks the same year in Inferno, which was the Robert Langdon sequel to The Da Vinci Code by director Ron Howard. My favorite, however, in this film was Alexander Black as Yusuf, Hanks' 80s power ballad loving driver and eventual right hand man a hangout movie you can tell they were sort of going for like a lost in translation vibe in saudi arabia and it's slight but still entertaining enough because of that cast and its character arc about america's struggling and collapsing middle class as we've stopped prioritizing manufacturing in the united states It's ambitious, but mostly a notch above average, but I enjoyed watching it again. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Hologram for the King. Yeah, so Hologram for the King, um, I think that's one of three Eggers. Like the other one is The Circle, I think. Yeah, you know what's funny? Um, I keep seeing people talking about The Circle and I'm like, why is everyone talking about that movie? But yeah, I didn't put it together but anyway go ahead which is another villainous turn by him even though it it doesn't yeah it's not as good as hologram not as good as hologram but i think what i find interesting about hologram for a king is that when hank's character first shows up you think he's going to be this hank scene character oh this is the every guy he's gonna walk in he's gonna save this he's gonna ultimately do the right thing and you know da 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 but ultimately he's a very troubled character right i mean uh, one that opening sequence is just surreal. I, yeah. <laughs> At first, he's, again, yeah, you're like, are we in Cloud Atlas territory? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's like, does this like, um, um, this modulation of um, once in a lifetime, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which How is did like, I get here? Yes. <laughs> yes, which is like kind of like I, the first thing I thought of was pixels. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just it's once again one of these movies. That scene, you could tell he's having a really good time yeah. doing this. <laughs> yeah. um, but then it, it transitions to you know a guy who's you know, in a post kind of recession um, environment and who feels, I think, he feels as though he's kind of sold his soul, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to redeem it, you know, with the the swim bicycles um, and exporting the jobs to, you know, China and stuff like that. And him having this hard decision. Um, One of my favorite scenes involves the contact with the king mm-hmm. um and he like talks about oh i studied you know your yeah. that case for business school and like do you think you could have you could have kept that company oh, in america yeah. um and it's such a like it's a, i mean 
it's such a, now I want to say tragic, but such a melancholic scene. I wish that had gotten played for longer, just a I little bit longer. It. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot happening beneath the surface of that character. I, I think that's why I love when I love Tom Hanks the most. I think that a lot of his, it's interesting that his characters, his most famous characters, I think are very surface level mm-hmm. for the most part. Like Forrest Gump, super surface level. I mean, there's stuff happening beneath that. I don't want to, you know, completely denigrate that character. Um, but you hear, you see everything. Um, you see everything you need to know on that character almost immediately, right? Yeah. You see the heroism, the every guy and everything like that. And it's just him kind of playing around with those kind of tropes. And I think a lot of the characters we've been talking about on, you know, for the films we've, we've discussed have a lot going on beneath them um, that kind of bowl up to the surface. And it's really Tom Hanks like trying to modulate on when he's going to allow stuff to bubble up. And you feel that with Ooh. hologram for a King. Um, yeah. um, whether it's, this guy being a divorcee, uh, divorcee, um, yeah. and then him feel like he's like wrecked his daughter's college money, and this yeah. is a, a this he's basically a loser in this film. Like that's basically he the way. He kind of, <laughs> yeah, he's like the beginning part of. Now I'm linking it back to another Tom Cruise, but like Jerry Maguire, where it's like, what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah, for that thing again he doesn't have the big moment where he sits down and writes a mission statement that's a whole that'd be a different movie but he (laughs) is trying to get back that thing or maybe to make up for these what he considers failures and what are failures in his life and he's totally ineffectual in this movie like there's not much much. he gets done you know um yeah and he's everything goes for naught yeah yeah um and so yeah it's it's not him coming in to save the day it's not even him being a, the moral barometer no um, no because we can tell that he's flawed because of the mm-hmm. decisions he's made and the way that his life is now unspun and he's out in this desert literally trying to find his fortune you know it's yeah. like, like it's a treasure of the sierra madre situation <laughs> yeah he's got to figure out what he wants to do yeah yeah. there's no gold yeah he doesn't do the <laughs> dance it's not a thing no <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's um and the, i mean you you see him um in the the long car rides with alexander black right where oh i love all this <laughs> they're, they're, yeah they're so fantastic and he's he's just a glum irritable guy in those like it's, yeah, Alexander Black wants to listen to music. It's kitschy, but you know that's what you listen to when you drive long distances, especially when there's nothing in the um, landscape you're looking at. I'm from the Midwest. I mean, you would drive by cornfields. You need the bad music, people. But yeah, do you like Chicago? No, I don't. Actually, after five minutes, and it's a fun. <laughs> it's like who? I mean, you know, you might go like, I don't like Chicago, but you're singing along when those songs play, people. But not Tom Hanks in this movie. He's just not a fun guy to bring to a party. I think is what we find out. Yes, lots of physical comedy in this movie, though, like the Pratt Falls, you know, with the yeah. with the chairs, um, and the drunken hotel scene is some. 
very interesting physical yeah. acting. <laughs> I think he was like, I get to do something here instead of beat, because he is very like playing it close to the vest otherwise. Yeah, yeah. And he's just yeah. like very loopy and reminded <laughs> me of um of the the Brad Pitt scene at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You yeah. know, just the, <laughs> the whole finger motion and everything like that. Yeah. You know? Um, it's this kind of like collected character who just kind of unwinds and you just see him just a mess, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I there are a lot of things that we and we've talked about with the prior films, the comedic timing, the physical uh comedic ability. Um, he has a lot of like sight gags with his face in this very expressive mm-hmm. actor. Um, and there's a lot working on going on underneath the surface. Um, I didn't wholly buy one repeat of this terminal. I didn't wholly buy the whole love affair Thank that was you. going on there. Yeah. <laughs> it, at first I'm like, why is she so willing to, I mean, really risk her entire reputation i mean saudi arabia she is taking some big risks with this guy and yeah because you didn't really see the big chemistry i guess or the build-up to that so i get you on that yeah because you know very little about her and it would be interesting it'd be one thing if they had more in common than like well we're both divorced they got kids (laughs) we're attractive divorcees people yeah (laughs) you know i I know okay (laughs) i guess we're hooking up and i want to move to saudi arabia damn it yeah yeah there are moments where it feels like there there just needs to be more happening with that you know and sometimes it's like old genre conventions bumping on in you know like yeah. we've put this romantic <laughs> relationship work. in there and i feel like this movie would be better without it and it went it just kept going within this character's melancholy and yeah. his like sense of defeat you know mm-hmm. um rather than well we gotta gin up a like <laughs> yep, we need a love interest yeah yes <laughs> 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 gotta gin up some kind of a happy hopeful ending because it's tom hanks you know yeah i was gonna say uh did you ever read this one this is one eggers i didn't read no i didn't i, yeah, read I was it. wondering if it was more on the page or in tyker or if this was just him going up oh, i'm adding in a woman i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well it's very interesting that he's so connected to this to this writer that he's so interested in like he really yeah. should just stop <laughs> I, I think so or go back to the beginning with um heartbreaking work of staggering genius well i don't know if we want tyke we're adapting that but somebody <laughs> could do that one and and then when eggers got into his short story novella thing i mean they're mm-hmm. great to read but maybe stop bringing him to the screen i don't know <laughs> yeah whenever they get brought to the screen they feel so slight you know that there's like yeah. there's something more here i felt that i definitely felt that with the circle which oh very much um wonderful cast it was emma watson right amazing cast that yeah the choices are being made in that movie make no so why is karen <laughs> gillian in her Scottish accent, but Emma Watson is in her English accent, and neither <laughs> is John Boyega in his English accent. <laughs> Just let these put in another damn country. <laughs> this would be so much interesting if you just put in the UK and 
you know, that and Tom Hanks is this American like tech <laughs> mogul that's like sinister. Um, but yeah. once again, another film where I, Tom Hanks is really the only person in that film that understands the assignment. Okay. Um, <laughs> it really, the film would be so much more interesting if it really only settled on him and not Emma Watson's character, if okay. it was through his eyes. But <laughs> yeah, I know we people like send them our way. Robert will take a pass. I'll take a pass. We'll talk about it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> really fun though. I applaud you for such a clever and creative topic, but I know I've taken up like most of your afternoon here, but before I let you go, are there any other Tom Hanks performances you think would fit in here or any offbeat or even vastly underrated or underappreciated turns that you want people to check out? You think they should? Yeah, I mean, like, Roach Perdition is definitely one where not enough people talk about that movie. Not enough. It's like, I see Roxana Haddadi, and I'm always, like, you know, probably annoying her too much whenever she does. I'm like, yes! Yeah. (laughs) It's like me with the verbs. When I find the fans, I, like, glom on. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, uh, Paul Newman's probably my favorite actor, you know, of all time. and. Jude Law is so so great in it, and um, Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig is so despicable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I I literally like I have never in my life wanted to shoot someone, and I wanted to shoot Daniel Craig in a good <laughs> way. Like I wanted to like murder him personally. Oh, wow. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> so I love Road to Perdition. Also, it's a Chicago set film, so I've got to give. Yeah, uh, Chicago set film props. Uh, I remember yeah. when they filmed it here. Um, a beautiful day in the neighborhood, which is a late kind of Tom Hanks turn. Um, that not enough people talked about. Mario Heller yeah. should have been nominated for best director. Mm-hmm. Like she had one of the best directorial performances in that in in that year. And Tom mm-hmm. Hanks is it's her and Tom Hanks. They're making that film. <laughs> Without them, that yeah. film probably wouldn't have worked. Uh, we talked earlier about the birds which i love yep. joe versus volcano um yeah. a lot of tom hanks's early roles just aren't as well known mm-hmm. or as or as heralded heralded mm-hmm. um that deserve to be checked out and you, you get a, a fuller sense of him and why it's very interesting because he <laughs> um he talked about the reason he took a league of their own was because he was in his words, quote unquote, I was tired of playing pussies. <laughs> oh, I could see that actually, because that was yeah, kind of he was like, I, thing. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, I really wanted to play someone who had some kind of like tragedy behind him and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah I think his earlier roles are actually more tragic than what he, he ended up really? doing for the next decade. You know, I mean, granted, they're areas where he, he gets away from that like Philadelphia and 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 saving private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, the character in Punchline, I think people, you know, Joe versus Volcano and stuff like that, yeah. you know, are so much more interesting. And it, what, as I, I pointed toward before with Harrison Ford, really explain what that person's drawn to, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. the success is 
an actor could be taking a role because like that's just what they're successful at and that's just kind of yep. the, it, the audience dictates what they want but doesn't necessarily say something about them and what they're interested in and the characters that they find intriguing and what you know what they want to explore about themselves mm-hmm. i think so often with all these films and especially with tom hanks's early films you get the sense of what he's interested in he loves comedy he loves darker people people who has something going on underneath and it's not always what's successful but it is the definitely the thing that has built upon itself to create his successes oh 100 that is a perfect note to end on too well thank you so much robert i was just thrilled to have you back i couldn't believe it had been that long since we chatted door is always open virtually (laughs) Of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is a podcast. What is she? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But you're always welcome back. So thank you so much for doing this. The second I have another topic, I will be back. <laughs> okay. Right on. This was a blast. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it was. Thanks for having me. This is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.